Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... about the relationship between the Father and the Son, because if you don't understand the relationship between the Father and the Son, you're going to struggle to understand the relationship between God and you, because it'll always be conditional. You'll always think it's conditional on me. Oh, I read my Bible today. God likes me. Oh, I didn't read my Bible today. God doesn't like me. That is not a grace-filled relationship. That is a conditional relationship. And here's the thing. If you're living in a conditional relationship, eventually you're going to burn out. You're going to get tired. You're going to get exhausted. Joyful assurance comes from being aware of the continuous evidence that God is at work in your life. Today, Pastor Jim reminds us that God often shows us He's at work by what He wants to do. Pastor Jim gives us a few examples from Scripture to back this up. He'll give you a desire to obey, He'll give you a desire to do good works, and He'll give you a desire to be a living sacrifice. Remember, as a believer, your salvation is assured but you will have very little joy unless you enter into the process with Him. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, as we join Pastor Jim for part 3 of his message entitled, Joyful Assurance. We'll have more information about the church and how you can get a copy of today's message, but for now, here's Pastor Jim. God's not conditional. So if you break the law, He still loves you. Might you get in trouble? Yes. Yes. In the context of Philippians 1, the good work that God began in the Philippian church was for service. So the grace of God qualifies men and women for the work of the kingdom of God. But please hear me on this. That work doesn't make God love you more. We got it? That work is designed to help you love him more. That work is designed to help tell other people how much God loves them. And that work is designed to help you depend on him more. I really never had to depend on God more than when I became a pastor. I mean, it's just this heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching thing of watching so many people, right, just do what seems to be right in their own eyes, and just, just really forget so many things that we have all learned together. Now, this whole process of God at work after our salvation, theologians call sanctification, which we typically call as you becoming more like Jesus Christ. Now, in the context of this letter, it is that they are becoming more Christ-like, so Christ-likeness spreads throughout the earth. And that's a big part of what God wants to do with us, guys. He wants to make us more Christ-like so Christ-likeness spreads through northwest New Jersey. Not weirdness, not being just so quirky different that, you know, nothing wrong with being quirky. That's the way God made us. That's okay. But so Christ-likeness is seen by people. You know, Jesus was like that. That's why the religious people couldn't stand him. He was so... Like the kids would say, he's so chill, right? And the normal people are like, we kind of like him. We kind of like him. 
Now you say, that sounds really great. I, I want to be more like Jesus, right? Anybody see a big glaring problem with that? Any of you selfish? Just a quick show of hands. Any of you selfish, right? The others are liars. You see, guys, that's why this only positive message is, dare I be so bold to say, antichrist. This job skills, or not job skills, but successful Christian living, living, like having a life Christian coach for you, you know, four weeks of this, four weeks of that, four weeks of this, that's why I think it's antichrist. Why? Because some of you have been a lot more than four weeks of a good parent, your kid has still gone off the rails. And you know how defeating that is for some people? You see, the gospel is not four weeks of doing this and everything will turn out fine. The gospel is this, four years, 14 years, 40 years of doing this and God's grace will give you a love for that kid that no prodigal off the rails kid will ever be able to stop. That's the gospel. That's becoming Christ-like. That's sanctification. And sanctification takes place actually. I wish it was like, oh, ta-da, I'm more like Jesus today. That's not how it takes place. Sanctification takes place when we see how unchristlike we really are and we turn to him for help. And we turn to him for help. We're not okay with our unchristlikeness. We're actually very uncomfortable with it. And we turn to him for help. True loving relationship is transparent, right? Those of you who are married, if you only talk about the business decisions of marriage, you're like, I thought it would be more than this. You have to be transparent. And sometimes, oftentimes, God has to be transparent with us. And so maybe instead of when God convicts you of some sin or something that you're not doing in your life, Maybe instead of that, maybe you and I should see it as an opportunity. You see, God is not mean. God is not trying to make you have a low opinion of yourself. God is teaching us to rely on him. I mean, it's like riding a bike. Once we get overconfident, those of you who taught a kid to ride a bike, once that kid gets overconfident, what's happened? He's going down, right? <laughs> and so God lets us fall. Why? So we start trusting in him instead of ourselves. So the Apostle Paul is teaching the Philippian church here, as just as we depended on God to save us, we have to depend upon the Lord to sustain us. But that doesn't mean we do nothing. The Apostle Paul was confident that God was at work because the Philippian church was at work, having answered the call of God to be Christ-like to the world around them. You can do that at your job. You can do that at your school, kids, young students. You can do that at the playground. You can do that anywhere. Donald Carson, one of my favorite Bible, New Testament Bible scholars, said this. This is a pretty uh, obvious sentence. He says, people do not drift towards holiness. Have you noticed that? <laughs> that is not my drift. You're like, you're a pastor. Well, I'm human. Okay, that is not my drift. People don't drift towards holiness, and then he says, apart from, very important term, grace-driven effort. Not effort, grace-driven effort. The effort is based in the fact that God is good, that God has forgiven me, that God is at work. So as I work, as you work, God is at work. 
Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness. I mean, do you, did you wake up this morning and say, oh, I think I'll have a godly day. I don't think so. We don't gravitate towards prayer. Is that what you, I mean, I gravitate towards the coffee pot in the morning when I wake up. They don't gravitate towards obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. He says, no, we drift towards compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience, and we call it freedom. We drift towards superstition, and we call it faith. If you're here, it's because God is at work. It's because you responded to God's work by being here. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, friend, hear this. Never doubt that he is at work. Never. Never. No matter how it's going, no matter how good it might be, no matter how bad it might be, he is at work. One Bible commentator put it this way. He is busy putting the finishing touches on you. That's what he's doing. You are not an experiment. God doesn't do experiments. We experiment with stuff. You're not an experiment. Your life is not an accident. I don't care what your science teachers in school tell you. You are not a random accident. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And no matter what happens to you, all of that falls under his purpose and in his plan. Let me give you an example of that from one of Pam and I's friends when we were dating. In fact, I like her. I think she said, you should marry that guy. <laughs> we had a friend who was quite sick in the hospital in New York City. And um, the doctors had told her that they, had, they couldn't do anything about it. She had an incurable disease. It was very rare. They didn't know what to do. Time was limited. I was like, 26 years ago, she's still alive. They were wrong. Anyway, the nurse came to her. She got to be friends with the nurse, one of the nurses, and she came to her, and, you know, and the nurse, she's trying to share God, Christ, with the, with the nurse, and the nurse is like, you know, well, you're sick. I mean, he's not helping you. He's not doing it, whatever. She was trying, she was trying, she was trying. And then one day, the nurse comes to her, and she says, um, I know something that I'm not supposed to tell you. So our friend, being a sinful Christian, said, well, then tell me. <laughs> Do tell, <laughs> all right? And so she said, there's someone, one of your kind of Bible people, here in the hospital on the floor above. So she says, well, who is it? She says, I'm not supposed to tell you. So our friend says, like a sinful Christian, Do tell. Do tell, <laughs> right? So she says, um, it's the Reverend Billy Graham. So my friend says, well, you know, that I, I've seen him on television before. You know, things are not going great for me here. I'd love to uh, meet him. So they put her in the wheelchair, and they sinfully take her upstairs, get past the security with her nurse's badge, and they go in and see Billy Graham. So Billy was really tired, really run down, really run down, been traveling around, preaching, and just, you know, having some issues. And so my friend got to spend a, a few moments with him. He was really, really tired. And uh, our friend says, she says, I brought my Bible. Would you autograph it? So Billy Graham takes his, I've been, you know, you know, I've been honored. You know? <laughs> so, so he takes it and he writes just simply this, God bless you, Billy Graham. He abbreviates Philippians, P-H-I-L, we always use that abbreviation, 116. 
So what was, what was Billy, she had told Billy Graham her story. What was Billy telling her? That you're here in the hospital. It seems like God isn't doing anything. But I want you to know God is at work. He's started a good work. He's continued a good work. I know it doesn't seem like that now, but he's doing a work in you. So our friend goes back down, and the nurse says to her, um, what do you write in your Bible? So our friend gives it to her, and she reads this. God bless you. But remember, this is someone who doesn't know the Bible. God bless you, Billy Graham. And then she go, looks up and she goes, who's Phil 16? <laughs> But our friend got to open the Bible to Philippians 1.6 and share with that nurse about the God who continues his work even when things are not going well. And it opened a grand dialogue that wouldn't have probably been open before with someone who was in a place that didn't look good. So number three is after number one, God's work in you had a beginning. Number two, God's work in you will always continue. Number three, God's work in you will be completed. God's work in you will be completed. The end of verse six, that he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That word complete is interesting. It basically means that it will come to the point in time where there will be no more work needed. It will be, it will be done. And the Apostle Paul was confident what the church will be. Are you confident what the church will be? I mean, all of us, we, we naturally just draw our eyes to the wrong, don't we? But let's, let's be confident in what the church will be. Let's be confident in what God is going to make each one of us. His completed works. Now, God's start date for all of us is different, but it has a guaranteed finish date when the ascended king will return. And let's try and break away just for ourselves for a second and think about the relationship between the father and the son because if you don't understand the relationship between the father and the son, you're going to struggle to understand the relationship between God and you because it'll always be conditional. You'll always think it's conditional on me. Oh, I read my Bible today. God likes me. Oh, I didn't read my Bible today. God doesn't like me. That is not a grace-filled relationship. That is a conditional relationship. And here's the thing. If you're living in a conditional relationship, eventually you're going to burn out. You're going to get tired. You're going to get exhausted. But when it's, if you will, a love fest where most of the love is coming this way, trust me, from heaven to you, right? You'll be energized by it. So turn with me to John 17, John's Gospel, chapter 17. And I want to read to you, as you're turning there, from John chapter 1, at the very beginning of the book, Talking about Jesus, John says, But as many as received him, Jesus, to them, not everybody, only to them who received Jesus, he gave the right to become the children of God. Everybody says, oh, we're all children of God. The Bible doesn't teach that. To those who, not everybody, those who received him, who believe in his name. And then he goes on to say that there is a rebirth that happens when they're born of God. Now, John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus is about to go to the cross. It's coming down. It's coming the next day. And look at what he says. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him, the son, Jesus talking about himself, authority over all flesh that he, Jesus the son, should give eternal life. So who gives eternal life? The son to as many as you, the father, 
have given him. And this is eternal life. Now let's stop there for a second. Most Americans believe that this is eternal life is if you're a good person. How good is good? I don't know, I'm asking you, I have no idea. <laughs> Everybody thinks it's, well, just a little, the people worse than me, they're definitely not going, but I'm in. <laughs> no, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So friends, honestly, if you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the Bible says you don't have eternal life. And you can know him by turning to God and putting your trust in Jesus. Then he says this, verse 4, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work. Really, in Jesus' mind, he has come. He's, God has become a man. He's lived a perfect life. All that needs to happen now, he's going he's gonna to die on the cross, raised from the dead, ascend into heaven. In Jesus' mind, it's a done deal. It's just scheduling now. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. So here we have, if you will, a contract between the Father and the Son sealed by the work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. In other words, Christian, God the Father is under contract, under obligation to the Son to start, continue, and finish the work that he began in you. So he's not going to stop it just because you didn't have a good day. He's not going to stop it because you didn't toe the line. He's going to do the work through God's spirit because of what Jesus has done. Now, some of you go, I don't really like that. Others of us go, gosh, no wonder I love Jesus so much. The Bible shows us how hopeless we really are. So we come to the one who offers hope. This is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that a true Christian perseveres. Why? Because God is at work. You don't persevere, and I don't persevere because we want to in this Christian faith thing. We do because God is at work. And one day, God will be glorified when Jesus returns. He will glorify his son. And now, through our sanctification, he is, if you will... Preparing us for that day. But notice I said, a true Christian. The American church is suffering from what I call easy in, easy out. We invited people into this easy, wonderful life, and when it wasn't an easy, wonderful life, what did they do? They got out. Instead of a response to the cross, to realize that our only hope of heaven was God and his son in turning to him and putting in our trust in him unto eternal life. So Christian friend, please understand this. No matter how much we think we are disappointing to God, your salvation is as assured as the second coming. But you will have very little enjoyment unless you enter into that. Unless you enter into the process. Joyful assurance comes from being aware of the continuous evidence that God is at work in your life. And often, God shows us he's at work by what he wants to do. You're taking notes, you can jot this down, a desire to obey, Romans 6. A desire to do good works, Ephesians 2. A desire to be a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 
joyful assurance of your salvation. People are just always wondering, am I going to go to heaven? Listen, when I get there, right? I don't know if I'm going to meet St. Peter at the Golden Gate, right? I don't know if there's going to be some big bouncer there. It looks like Mr. T. (laughs) But I do know this. If anybody asks me, why in the world should we let you in? My answer is going to be because I have trusted in the life, in the death, in the resurrection of another. Not for anything I've done. I come here a very poor man, having not even done the best I could for the kingdom of God. But I know that he loves me no matter what I do. And I know he loves me no matter how I perform. And instead of taking that love for granted, somehow, because he was at work, it made me love him more. And I look forward to really, truly loving him in the next life. So when you know that God has begun a good work, when you know that he's continuing that work, when you know he'll be completing that work, you can have joy. We can have joy as a church to realize that we are here to be equipped in the work of the ministry that we are to bring glory to his son and the good news to the world. And we can do that with joy when the focus is not on us and our sin, but the focus is on what God is doing in the midst of our sin. Such faith, such assurance won't make you lazy. It won't make you indifferent. It makes you a radical lover of God and a radical lover of people. May we as individuals, may we as a church press on together in God's work, assured of the evidence that God is at work. And guess what, guys? It's going to be okay. It might be really bad right now, but God is at work. He hasn't given up. The resurrection, the ascension, the second coming, it's your guarantee that it's going to be okay. I love what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. He starts up with faith and love, and then he morphs into this fiery judgment thing, which is really scary, actually. And then he says this, when he comes in that day, to be glorified with his saints, the people who believed in him, who trusted in him. And I love this, to be admired among all those who believe. I mean, I'm looking so forward to that day. Because why? He tells them this, because our testimony among you was believed. And that's what we are here. We're God's ambassadors. We, are, we have a testimony of Jesus Christ, not of church, not of being a good person, We have a testimony of Jesus. So today, having heard, I pray that you would in your mind come to the cross. I pray that you would look up at Jesus Christ and you would see someone so broken and so beautiful. And you would turn to him and put your trust in him so that new work that the cross guarantees could begin in your life today that you could begin to experience the joyful assurance that the Lord finish what he starts and he will in you. And friends, we live in a broken, broken world, don't we? People say to me, I don't know how people can, can spend all their life getting drunk and doing drugs and stuff like that. And I always say, I do. Because this world is so broken and we as people are so broken. 
But God wants broken people. And he's promised to make broken people beautiful in his sight. And so let us give ourselves into the process because God has begun a work. God is still working. And God will complete it until the day when we see Jesus face to face. Thank you for listening to Changed by Love Radio, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. We are excited that you joined us today, and we hope and pray that you will join us again next time as we continue to learn more about Jesus verse by verse in the book of Philippians. If you would like a copy of today's message on CD, simply contact us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills at 973-659-3380. Keep in mind that we need today's date to ensure you get the copy of the correct teaching. You can also write us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or send an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. Don't worry if you haven't been able to write that information down. Simply log on to www.changedbyloveradio.com. There you'll find all the information to listen to this message again or receive your own copy. You can also give securely to help Changed by Love Radio share the good news of Jesus Christ. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through the book of Philippians. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time here on Changed by Love.